You already know that Illegal Pete's makes delicious, mission-style Mexican food. But did you know that Illegal Pete's uses its marketing funds to support Colorado creative talent that we love? We support the Denver Diatribe Podcast, the Grolix Comedy Showcase, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls, the Yellow Designs BMX Stunt Team, Apex Movement Parkour Team, the Underground Music Showcase, and more. We even have our own record label, The Greater Than Collective, with albums by The Epilogues, Snake Rattle Rattle Snake, Esme Patterson, Ian Cook, and comedian Ben Roy, and a starving artist program that feeds out-of-town bands traveling in Colorado for free. Illegal Pete's. We're more than just a restaurant. So, let us put our food... And music... And comedy... And sports... Inside you. Please. Please. Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, where racial inequality is on the up and up. I'm Vanessa Martinez. This week, co-host Josh Johnson and I welcome Denver native and award-winning journalist Laura Frank of iNews to the Diatribe to talk about Losing Ground, an investigative multimedia project that finds blacks and Latinos in Colorado falling further behind whites when it comes to income, education, and other areas of social progress. So this isn't the kind of news that makes for fun dinner conversation, obviously. Still, Laura says these disparities will undoubtedly affect all of us here in the Mile High City, no matter what race or income level we claim. But first, Josh and I asked her for some details about what the investigation uncovered. We didn't start out with the question of, are racial and ethnic minorities in Colorado losing ground or gaining ground? We started looking at uh, what's going on with poverty and how many kids were living in poverty and how the increase had just skyrocketed. And when we began to analyze it, we started pulling it apart and we could see that all of the huge increase in poverty could be attributed to African-American and Latino kids. Well, what's going on there? And we started peeling back the layers of the onion. And what happened was what you've seen. Losing ground was the result. The um, multimedia report, in a nutshell, says that for the major ways that you measure social progress, so income, home ownership, education, for those major things, the disparity between African-American and whites and Latino and whites in Colorado, the disparities are worse now than they were at the time of the Civil Rights Movement. That was a real surprise for a lot of people, in, including us. And you're, you're talking about specifically in Colorado, because you've got some charts that compare Colorado to uh, the country at large, and they're pretty shocking. Well, right. Colorado used to be a more equitable place for racial and ethnic minorities than the rest of the country, and that has switched now Colorado is in the bottom half. We're less equitable. So I guess the question is what made us more equitable in the first place, and how did we lose that? Well, that's exactly. What, how did we lose the ground? Right. What, what happened? So the easy part was actually doing the analysis and finding these results. The hard part was trying to then figure out what happened. So we began, we, we brought in people from those communities who were leaders in the communities, and we said, look, look at these numbers. Help us figure out what is going on here. So we had a, a couple of, of meetings over at Rocky Mountain PBS, and Colorado Public Radio came in, and we started talking about these things. And 
where we really wound up looking were the kinds of public policies that had changed over the decades. So if you look at the 60s, the gaps are bad, right? And then the civil rights movement, some of the reforms that occurred around that, the gaps starting started getting better. They're smaller. They're decreasing in the late 60s, early 70s. But then something starts changing in the 1980s and 90s, and the gaps are growing again. So if you begin to look at what some of those things are, you know, into busing, into affirmative action, essentially, um, changes, major changes in the economy, huge changes in the um, family structure. So when you start looking at all of these things together, you can't point to any one thing. What happened? Oh, wouldn't it be easy if we could point to one thing? Sure. So I come from a, a school of thought, I guess, that, that says that um, race is kind of a smokescreen for class. You know, that, that when, we, when we're talking about race, we're really talking about poverty. And that by talking about race is to create a, you know, two people against each other so that the, we'll call it one percenters end up being the only ones that win. And this is something that sort of knocks that down, you know. Um, but at the same time, I'm curious to know if, if the disparity that largely has happened across races, you know, wh um, where the, there's 1% that own, you know, the majority of the wealth, does that contribute to this? Well, we ask the same question. I mean, there are lots of questions around this, right? So one of the questions is, well, can you account for all of these gaps by looking at um, the the economic issue. Sure. So we pulled out, we accounted, we did an analysis where we controlled for income. And the gaps are smaller, but the trend is still the same. Sure. Getting worse, still a gap. Right. And and it was true um, ac across the board for all of the kinds of things that, that we looked for. Well, before we get into um, some of those specifics, let's uh, look, you have a nice timeline of uh, civil rights history in Colorado, can you, uh, let's talk about some of those highlights. I don't know that uh, a lot of people, especially new to Colorado, would even think of this state as having any kind of civil oh, rights Oh, good. I thought, I thought you were going to ask me to, to name <laughs> dates and events, and, yeah. and, and, no, and no. there are too many to name. But a lot of people don't know that Colorado has really been a place of all kinds of civil rights movements. You mentioned the Chicano movement. Um, there have been, of course, African-American movements. There, it, Colorado, in many ways, is the birthplace of the civil rights movement for people with disabilities. A lot of people don't know that. I had it, no idea. Yes, yeah. and it's true. And you can go on our website and see a, wow. a whole uh, story about that. Um, at any rate, there's a lot of interesting history here. And we saw, you know, busing here in Colorado and Denver. We, we saw a lot of changes that have happened. You know, people lying down in front of buses just like they were doing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in Washington, D.C. or anywhere else. Um, during those times. So there is a lot of history. And what you can do is go and look at this interactive timeline. And we've actually um, put national civil rights events juxtaposed with local civil rights events. So you can see over time what is happening both in Colorado and in the rest of the nation as, as these things are progressing. Does it lead up to today? Does there seem to be, I mean, it seems like maybe at what, what I started thinking was, you know, we don't have the kind of activism, at least if we do where is it? Am I just not paying attention? It's a great question because that is something that's come up over and over in the conversations we've had with people. And there's one school of thought out there that some of the growth in disparity might be in part because 
there isn't that kind of activism or pressure that there used to be. And we talked with community leaders. We talked with actually some of the um, offspring of those initial leaders in the civil rights movement who said, you know, I think at some point we kind of felt like, okay, we we made it and we don't have to keep protesting in the streets. That was a really interesting thing to have people think about. Um, There's been Mm. a big issue people have brought up in a recent um, event that we had where we bring the public together to talk about losing ground, where they said, you know, churches used to be real leaders in these kinds of issues, and maybe they aren't the same kind of leaders that they used to be. So should we be reigniting that in some way? Um, One of my my questions is, like, an immediate, I guess, top-of-mind solution would be some sort of affirmative action and and at least in my experience it seems like i would support affirmative action but it's actually the people that might benefit from affirmative action that are the loudest opponents, opponents because you know they want to achieve it on their own with without you know some sort of legislative or or policy based um lift up so given this you know disparity like what what do we do? What do we do? Like, well, well, just like, like do we, no... we should motivational posters. I <laughs> yeah. think like, like you can do it. <laughs> Buy a house. <laughs> well, um, just like there was no simple, you know, you can point to the problem. Sure, I was I was expecting. This. Yeah, yeah, I, you know what I'm going to say. There's no simple thing, and and the thing is that there are so many, you know. It's kind of like, how do you get the airplane off the runway? You have to lift the whole thing up at once, right? You can't get the right wing up and leave the left wing down. Can we? That's not the usual right wing, left wing talk that you have on the show, is it? Um, so maybe my analogy doesn't carry. But but the idea is, you know, when when we started talking about people to people about what what do you do. What right. happens yeah. next? Okay, yeah. here's the information. What does it mean and what do people do with it? Sure. How do you look at this and say, okay, well, for every dollar that a white family in Colorado makes, um, you know, a, a black family makes 60 cents and a Latino family makes 50 cents. Okay, where do you start with that? Where do you start with, um, you know, the family structure? No matter how good a job you have, if you're a single parent, that's only one income. Even two so-so incomes is going to be better than one so-so income, right? Sure. So there are all of these things that that work together, and I think it's there's no quick, simple answer, but it's starting to work on all of these issues. So that's been something that's really exciting for us, looking at the reaction to losing ground. You know, part of what we did that's different from most journalism is that we said, okay, in the old journalism world, the end game was the publication or the broadcast of the story, and then you go on to whatever the next thing is. With this, we said, people, when they get important information, want to be able to talk to each other about it and figure out what do we start to do to yeah, change Yeah, because you this. want to do something. To hear to hear this is like a, huh, and then, then what? Right, and then you know? what? Exactly. I mean, if you're a caring person, you would want to work towards a solution. I mean, just no. I mean, obviously, knowing it is is its in its own its own solution, right? So it's like well, to, it's a first step. It's a first step, right? It's like GI Joe, but it's only a first step. I, right. Yeah, I, I'm not even sure it's half the battle because I think doing <laughs> what you do about it is really the the hard part. So we get the information out, and our idea was, you know, we're journalists, not activists, not radicals, right. but we said, all right, what we're going to do is give people 
a path to come together so that they can talk about it. Mm -hmm. We're going to give them a place, an ability, you know, we're going to help make that happen so that people can come together. So what we did was we set up eight public events all around the state and invited people to come and talk about what they got out of losing ground. And invariably, the conversation goes right where you think it would. What do we do about Mm -hmm. it? And so that has been a fascinating thing to what watch. What are some of the ideas? But before, well, before we go there, real quick, because I don't, I don't think we've given enough numbers. I think no, we need, let's, let's give, let's give a few more numbers because when you talk about when you, you, the ones that you just gave about, about the dollars earned is, is very, uh, that's shocking. Sure. So yeah. let's, let's shock everybody a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, Create a crisis. Of, okay. Yeah. Well, how about this? In 1970, 60% of Latino households owned their own home. And there has been this huge house rush, you know, the American dream, lots of uh, try- ways to try to facilitate that. It's less than half now from 1970. Um, when you look at adults who have college degrees, um, three times more whites have college degrees than Latinos. And the white rate is double the black rate. The, the, the gaps in college education in Colorado are the worst of any state in the nation. That is appalling. And we also have some of the lowest funding. That's true. That's true. And is there a correlation? Then you start to, to pull that apart and try to see what's going on there and, and what does it mean. And, and I'll have to, you know, I really like to point out at a point like this that this is important to everybody it is. in Colorado, not whether you're a member of a minority population or somebody who cares about this kind of thing. If you live in Colorado, you depend on how well the Colorado economy is operating. In two generations, the workforce in Colorado will be majority minority. Sure. And so this, folks, is the direction that the economy is going. So if if people aren't educated to take those kinds of jobs that are available now, what happens? This was a big a big part of losing ground was was an analysis looking at what has happened to the economy. So in the sixties, in the seventies, you could get a very good paying job. Um, we use the example of the steel mills in Pueblo. Mm-hmm. You could get a, a job that paid the equivalent today of sixty or seventy thousand dollars with just a high school diploma. And families, it was the pathway to the middle class for families. And then their children could go to college if, you know, or, or they could get a job at the steel mill and, and have the same kind of quality of life. There were all kinds of opportunities that were opened up for people to move into the middle class. Those jobs don't exist anymore. Where that particular steel mill employed 15,000 people, it now does more work with 1,500 people. Mm-hmm. And, this, and the jobs aren't the same. So those change, and it's not just Pueblo, it's, it's Denver, it's everywhere. Um, so those jobs have changed, and the way our economy has changed, we haven't come up with a way to say, here are jobs that can actually be a conduit to the middle class. So we have, you know, this group of people who are trapped in some That's way. emblematic of a greater trend of the drop of the middle class mm-hmm. as well, right? And so, I but think but, the, but this, these specific groups are, are, are affected disproportionately. Exactly. Well, and I think one of the things that jumped out to me, why I wanted to talk to you about this on the diatribe is because we, on this podcast, we celebrate so much of, of the positive news that's going on. And we love to, because, you know, we, it, it feels good 
right? It's like Denver is growing. You read all of these things. Well, look how great the housing market is here. If you own a house and you want to sell right now, or if you want to rent, it's, you know, it's, there's so many millennials moving here. I think we're like the top city for, what is it, 18 to 28 or something like that um, in, in all of the metro areas in the country. And things like, you know, our cultural uh, scenes, to, to use kind of a bad word, are, are really exploding and tremendous right now, if you look at it from an urban perspective. And, and the tech scene is growing really, you know, we've real got estate. all these great jobs, real estate, all these things. But a lot of the things I think that we take for granted is that we think that along with that is coming more of this idea of the creative class where we do have more diversity. We do have, uh, you know, and not just in race, but in, uh, in, in, um, gender and, and immigration and all of these things. But we don't, we're not, I don't think we're really thinking about, I know I wasn't. I was taking for granted the fact that these jobs are not just going, like, this is not being spread out equally here. And if you move here or you, you love living in Denver because you see that it's becoming more diverse, is it really going to be able to stay that way? Are we going to push people out, you know, price them out of the city? We already are. I mean, in terms of housing, right? Sure. Look at Lower Highlands. So the things that you value as part of this so-called creative class uh, are in not just are endangered immediately, but then in the future, your own future in Colorado, and that if if you're if you're having children right now, is not going to look the same in two generations because of this, unless you start to care about it right now. Well, it's interesting you bring up that gentrification issue because that was actually something that came up at one of these public events. I think it was the um, one when we were uh, we were at the Blair Caldwell Library. And some folks had come in to talk about that. And I think, you know, Josh, you asked me a minute ago, what do people do about it? Well, it's, it's really the big answer is the simple answer. It's getting involved. It's, it's having people come together and talk through these things, think about the long-term consequences in addition to the short-term consequences, and then think about what do we want our communities to look like? What do we want our society to look like? And we start addressing these one by one. There's no grant. I mean, nobody can go to Capitol Hill right now and write a piece of legislation that fixes this. Yeah. So there are other people that are doing fine, mm-hmm. that are enjoying the economy here in Denver that has its areas of growth and seems to be semi-flourishing, right? But they're kind of held back and they would benefit more if this group of people that aren't doing that well were to do better. But, I mean, if if on the success side, if that grows, will that grow with them? Do all ships really rise well, in a rising tide? I'll tell you, when we're looking at these growing gaps, it wasn't that necessarily um, African-American or Latino groups were going downhill. Sure. They were making strides. There were, there were improvements, you know. Um, Median family income is higher. More people have okay. a high school diploma or a college degree. In most cases, those things are getting better. The thing is, they're getting better at, at a snail's pace compared to how much better they were right. getting for, for people who are white. The same analysis we did looking at gaps based on race and ethnicity, we're beginning to do based on gender. And as you might exa- uh, expect, the results are, are really interesting. And one of the things, you heard it here first on Denver Diatribe, that we're looking at is um, some of the ways that policies that we may have put in place as a society to improve the kinds of situations we're talking about are actually having the opposite effect. Huh. And so watch for that coming. Oh, that's interesting. Well, let's talk about that, too, because the information that you looked at 
obviously people are going to go online and look at this and say, well, why is it just blacks and Latinos? Where are the, you know, Asians, where are other groups? But there's a reason for that. There is a reason for that. And I'm glad you asked because when, when you go this far back in time in Colorado, the number of people living in Colorado who were Asian, um, for example, would, are so small that statistically it wasn't reliable to, um, to compare. However, what, what we're trying to start to do is then take current numbers, because of course those numbers have grown, and just be able to say, where are people now? So that's one of the follow-ups. And another follow-up is actually looking nationally. The same analysis that we've done for Colorado, we've now done for every state in the nation. Oh, wow. And when you look at this nationally, there are some really interesting trends regionally. Parts of the country that you might have thought would have worse gaps don't, and other parts that you thought maybe wouldn't have as bad a situation are, are worse. So um, watch for that coming as well. Oh, that's really interesting. So let's talk, let's talk about the information too. Where did you, what kind of uh, uh, statistics or what kind of data sets were you looking at? A lot of it is based on the census data. We also looked at justice data and health data. One of the most disturbing things to me out of, to come out of losing ground is the infant mortality rates. Um, you know, a, a child who is a year or younger uh, is three times more likely to die if he or she is African-American compared to white. And what are they dying from? Um, well, it, it's all kinds of sure. things. And this is a big question. And I would just say the, the infant mortality rate for Latinos in Colorado is actually rising. Mm. There are third world countries where that's not true. So um, it was a really disturbing, yeah. Really this is not good news. Finding. No, it's what not. a bummer. I know it's ter- there. There were there was some though. You you mentioned at the beginning of the report there is there is That's there right. are a couple of positives. Just yeah, just a couple. Um, education. I think in in high school education that was really one of the bright spots that there were uh, growing numbers of people who who come out with with a high school diploma compared. Um, so so those are getting better and the gaps are not as wide. Um, but I, I hear you, you know, people don't want to talk about things that are... No, kind of, <laughs> no, I know. I don't mean, to, I don't mean that way. But, but, the, but the problem is none of it gets fixed unless you... No, I agree. It's important it, to so. talk about. I'm not saying brush it under the, under the rug. Yeah. Um, how much of this is, I mean, I, I, who knows, right? But how much of it is related to, like, cultural differences? You know, I mean, well, it's sort again, of again, like, we went in and looked at, at um, for infant mortality, is it because people aren't getting, you know, are... are Mothers not getting prenatal care or education about newborns or you know things like this. So we did the same analysis. We held for um, for income and education. And when you have when you compare, you know, middle class, well educated women of you know African American, Latino, or white, the gaps are still there. Hmm. So it's not necessarily, oh, they're not getting educated or, oh, they're poor and not getting prenatal care. There's something else going on. Right. So that they could be cultural. It seems yeah, like and what I mean, would sort be of one, one element that I mean by cultural that I think of is that, you know, if you're growing, like where, the neighborhood I grew up in in New Jersey, it didn't value education. You know, it was like you, you're hanging out with people that aren't talking about college. You know, it's kind of expected that you don't go to college. Whereas if you're in more affluent neighborhoods, it's like everybody's doing, like, talks about college when college is coming up. And, and so, I mean, in the, the same, so that's like advanced education and home ownership, maybe. It's not 
really like someday I'm going to own a house. There are lots of theories out there. In fact, one that's really interesting to me, staying on the issue of infant mortality, there are a few researchers at different universities um, around the country who are looking at this question of whether there there is some innate stress that you live with in America yeah, if you are a member of a minority group. That is really and fascinating. And we know what stress does to... Sure. Anybody. Uh, anybody, but especially the body of, of a mother carrying Yeah, plus nutrition. A child. On top Absolutely. of that, I mean, access to decent food if, if you're not living in an affluent area. Well, again, I mean, what I'm saying is even people of, of certain affluence are ex, are experiencing yeah, the higher infant mortality really, rate. I mean, it's hard to get your brain around, it right? It is. It's really difficult. Like, Absolutely. Let's take a little break and, and give a nod to uh, our, our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Illegal Pete's. For the second year, Illegal Pete's will be running a Smother Autism campaign as part of Autism Awareness Month in April. Among other things, the Illegal Pete's restaurants will be donating a dollar to the Joshua School program in Denver and Boulder every time a customer smothers their burrito. And listeners, if you ever want to share your thoughts uh, on this topic or any other happenings in the Mile High City, please leave a comment on denverdiatribe.com, like us on Facebook, or drop a line at 720-282-YELL-Y-E-L-L. Where can people um, read about losing ground? Oh, I'm Where glad you asked. Work? They can go to our website two ways, either directly, inewsnetwork.org, that's the letter I-N-E-W-S network.org, or go to the Rocky Mountain PBS website, which is rmpbs.org, and you can find it there. It also, you know, one, maybe I should explain a little bit about how iNews works. Yes, and please. And that is we are a, an investigative newsroom we're doing public service journalism like Losing Ground. We are part of Rocky Mountain PBS, which just recently merged also with the public radio station KUVO, which we all love. Um, but we share our journalism with news organizations throughout the state. So almost every daily newspaper in the state ran Losing Ground on their Sunday front page when we first released it. Um, there have been almost two months' worth of stories on Colorado Public Radio related to losing ground, and it's been on public radio um, on other stations through throughout the state, uh, some ethnic and emerging media as well using it. So you can find losing ground in all sorts of places. And um, for people who want to join in some of the conversations about it, we have um, at least two public events that we have planned that we would welcome people to come to. Um, they're coming up. There's um, one Thursday, March 21st in Pueblo, starting at 530 at the CSU Pueblo campus. And then Monday, April 1st at Metro State at the Tivoli Student Union. And then Tuesday, May 28th, 6 p.m., History Colorado Center. What and, happens at these things? Well, it's it's... Each one is a little bit different depending on what people want to talk about. So usually what we do is have people come in um, and we show the video that accompanies the Losing Ground report that kind of lays everything out in a nutshell. And we talk a little bit like we've talked here about how we did the analysis and what it found. And then we let people take over with questions and comments and, and each one has kind of taken on a life of its own and it's been really interesting for me being on the panel to watch the people who come to participate 
sort of create what they want to create out of it. And the conversation, like I said before, always starts going back to what do we what do? do, we do? I want to talk a little bit more about uh, you as the founder of iNews and your background. You came from the Rocky. That's right. I was an investigative reporter at the Rocky Mountain News, uh, which closed in 2009, February of 2009. Um, and when that happened, I decided that the kind of in-depth stories, the kinds that we're talking about here, not only would they never appear in a newspaper that was now gone after 150 years, but all the other newsrooms in the state were really struggling to do long-term in-depth public service journalism because they were, you know, half the size they had been. So you can imagine, take any industry, remove half the people, it can't continue to do what it did. So the idea was, how could we help those newsrooms get at these kinds of stories? And that's how iNews was born. You do have some social media accounts. We do. In fact, um, you, you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, at iNews. Um, one of the things that we did with Losing Ground was to help other people get into the social media realm to have discussions like this. So we put together a, a community engagement kit that anybody could have. So if you wanted your book club or your service organization or whatever, um, your beer drinking buddies to get together and talk about these kinds of issues, we put together a kit that includes what we call a, a tweet kit. So it's ready-made tweets that you could use to launch a conversation and then keep it going trying to help people get out there and, and talk about these things wherever we can. Do you, do you ever run up against people who say, well, are you supposed to be having this much, uh, this much involvement in the community as a journalist? Yeah, well, act activism. Yeah, is it, do they see it that way? Yeah. I don't think so, although that is always, you know, journalists have always been very careful, very leery of appearing to be anything to but sweat. journalists. And what we're doing with this is, not advocating, here's what you should do. I mean, you haven't heard me say anything about, well, here's what should be done about this. Right. What we're doing is letting people come together so they can figure it out. Right. You know, there was just a gap that we, you know, maybe we were standing too far back uh, from the edge there and saying, all right, here's the information, good luck. Right. Now we can say, here's the information, and we are a central, neutral place where all people can come together and talk about what this means for for the entire of society. Sure. So well, it's good. Should we uh, should we get into some love and hate? Sure. Josh, do you want to start? A, you, you start us off, please. You um, said you have a great one, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's <laughs> great because I had a wonderful experience at Avalanche Auto Recycling on South Kalamath, and um, I now feel like I can fix cars. Basically, here's the what? thing. Yeah, basically, <laughs> the thing is, is like my, my girlfriend's wind, car window hasn't gone down for two years. And I found on YouTube her car and a video on how to replace it. And then I ordered the wrong part from Amazon. And these guys, they, I went down there and they basically to told me how to do it and sold me the part I needed really cheaply. It's, it's, it's a junkyard, essentially. But, I mean, if you're ever doing, you can go there and get a part for your car and take it to somebody and have it put it in. But they were they were not even like they they weren't even almost not not aware of upselling, you know. They were like just like, well, that's stupid. You don't need that whole thing. <laughs> I came there to buy the whole thing. They're just great, Avalanche Auto, and they're so funny. These these guys that work there, um, it's just the most positive, fun, like car repair experience I've ever had, and and you don't expect to have that. So 
That's good to hear because yeah. I, I drive a 14-year-old car, so I'm going to need Yeah, if something goes wrong with <laughs> yeah. the car, I mean, are you, are you, something goes wrong with your car, you can be empowered now with the internet. And just like I – so then with my car, I was like, this weird thing's happening with my car and with the idle and it's stalling. So I Googled Jeep Cherokee idle stall, and there's five other people that had the same exact thing with the same exact car and, and told me what it was and how to repair it. You know, I mean, it's just empowering. And if and if you need a part, I suggest Avalanche Auto Recycling. It's a great place. Just pop in. They have a soda machine. Pop in and say hi. Awesome. <laughs> Laura, you brought something for us to this week as well. Okay. I, I'm going to also give out some love. And it is to those people who care enough about their communities to come out to events where they talk about hard things and try to really figure out what do we do about them? So they, I think they are the heroes in this case. All right. Yes, definitely. It's going to be a love fest because I'm giving love too. Um, I'm going to give some love to the Athmar Recreation Center. Say that once more. Athmar, A-T-H-F. Is that your lisp? Is it really Athmar? No, it's really Athmar. So, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in April. You guys are going to hear some, uh, I'm getting ready to move back to Denver and we're going to do a couple of shows about my my uh, my home search and my yeah. neighborhood search, but uh, I'm that you'll I'm, benefit from. I ho- it's not I just so. going to be like you complaining about looking for a house. No, on no, 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 list, no. Right? And we'll have guests on to talk about it. So that's all the love and hate we have for this week. If you'd like to share a little of your own love and hate, please leave us a brief message at seven two zero two eight two yell. That's seven two zero two eight two nine three five five. Our theme music is by TJ Miller from his Extended Play EP, and our web hosting is provided by BlueChannel.com. For more information about Denver Diatribe or any of our guests, check out our website, DenverDiatribe.com, or search for Denver Diatribe on Twitter or Facebook. We're signing off this week with the song Poor Boy from Denver band Chimney Choir. I'm Vanessa Martinez. On behalf of my co-host, Josh Johnson, and our guest, Laura Frank, thanks for listening.
the floor. I don't mind sleeping on. 